can you have charisma, gifts, anointing, and be used by God without character? If you can, then what happens? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us today. On the line of fire, if God gives someone a gift of healing, if you believe that still exists today as I do, if God gives that person a gift, what if they're not walking closely with him? What if they fall into sin? What if their doctrinal preaching is in error? Will God still use them with that gift? Is that how it works? If he withdraws the gift, then where does that leave any of us? In other words, how perfect do we have to be in our doctrine or character? If he leaves the gift, regardless of what we're teaching or how we're living, does that leave him open to reproach or backing someone that's in sin? We'll tackle those questions today, friends, as we talk about character versus charisma. This is Michael Brown, and here's the number to call. Now, let me be specific. If you have a question that is relevant to what we're talking about today, it can be very specific about specific ministries with specific things you're wondering about and whatever is appropriate to talk about on the air, we will. It can be general questions. How does this work? It can be, are the gifts still for today? It can be questions of abuses you've seen or other. 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. That's the number to call. We're going to look at some key texts, some of the teaching of Paul, That's very important here, but I want to start in the Old Testament. I want to start in the book of Judges, and this is one of the most sobering, disturbing accounts in all of Scripture to me. Judges chapter 16. Let's take a look at what happens here. So Samson, all right, Samson who gets in trouble with women, with foreign women, whose first recorded words in Scripture are, I've seen a woman. Samson, who's the leader of Israel, all right, been supernaturally anointed by God, called from the womb with specific instructions for his mother and father, Manoah and his wife. Specific instructions, the way he's to live as a Nazarite, and his hair is never to be cut. He has the supernatural strength, and he's fighting the arch enemies, the Philistines. Once Samson went to Gaza. Now, that's Philistine territory. Why are you going to Gaza? All right. And I a prostitute there. So he went to her. So look, this is the leader of the nation. He's the shofet, the judge, the deliverer of the nation. He goes to Gaza. He sleeps with a prostitute. So he's sleeping with a pagan prostitute. This, this is real bad for the leader of the nation to sleep with a prostitute of the arch enemy nation. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. Now, by the way, that's not the part that's so disturbing to me, that he has another moral failure. That's not what's disturbing to me. Of course it's wrong. Of course it's grievous. Of course it's ugly. All right, obviously. But that's, that's not the thing that wrenches me about this passage and, and sobers me about this passage. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. So they surrounded him 
lay in ambush for him all night at the gate of the city and kept quiet all night saying, when morning light comes, then we will kill him. But Samson lay in bed till midnight. Lay in bed, meaning he's laying in bed next to a Philistine prostitute with whom he's just had sex. Okay? So he's laying in that bed next to that woman. He got up at midnight, grabbed the doors of the city gate, along with the two gate posts, and pulled them up, bar and all. Then he put them on his shoulders and carried them up to the top of the mountain that is near Hebron. All right. Why is this passage so wrenching to me to read and so sobering? Because after a major moral failure, remember, he is the leader of the nation. And one of the main things God has raised him up to do is defeat the Philistines. And he sleeps with a Philistine prostitute. Okay? And he's laying in bed with her till midnight. And he gets up at midnight and he still has supernatural strength. The supernatural gift of God is still operating in his life. And there's nothing I see in the New Testament that tells me that that could not happen in our day as well. Someone gifted, someone anointed. Maybe you're a cessationist. You don't believe in gifts of healing or prophecy today, but you believe God anoints someone to preach. And this person has been truly called by God and anointed to preach And when they preach, there is a special grace on them, and the word comes with a special force. I don't see anything in the New Testament that says that if that person falls into sin, if that person's doctrine is not perfect, that the gift won't still operate, that their speaking will have a certain power to it. I don't see anything in the New Testament telling me contrary. In fact, I see some things that tell me, no, it continues in the same way. You say, well, Mike, why isn't that encouraging to you? Because that's telling you, even if you're not at your best, you know, you didn't pray enough today. Because people go the other extreme. Well, I, I have to pray three hours before I preach. Or I have to fast one week before I lay hands on the sick. Or I have to keep my thought life perfectly pure for, for one month before I minister. And if I fall short the slightest bit, then I'm too condemned and I'm too, I feel too guilty and I feel too bad and, I, and I'm unable to carry, carry anything out. All right? Uh, people go to either extremes. You'd say, well, look, let that encourage you that you just do your best and, and, and call out to the Lord. If you fall short, he's still going to use you. Uh, that's not my issue. I know forgiveness. I know mercy. I know the kindness of God. That's not my problem. I, I know God can use me even when I'm not at my bed. Look. I'm seeking God. I'm I'm seeking God in private. I'm in his word. I'm seeking to live a a life that glorifies him. But I might be traveling in India. And, you know, it's happened quite a few times. And it's like 40 hours of travel from door to door, including spending a night in one city and taking another flight the next day. By the time I arrive, I've been traveling a while. And no, I've I've not spent 12 hours in prayer on the planes, you know, 40 hours. I've been in the word some, maybe prayed quietly in my seat some, but obviously... You know, you're traveling a lot, you're sleeping, you're, you know, you, you, you can't turn the, the, the plane into a prayer meeting, right? So I've gotten off the plane and I'm weary and jet lagged and it's like, come on, Mike, we got to go right now. Right now we got to get to the meeting and go there and preach and the anointing is there and the Holy Spirit's working and God will give me insight and et cetera. So I'm blessed. I know 
that the gift of God operates, and it's not based on how many hours I prayed that particular day or how long I fasted or something. But what's disturbing is, is you would think in the natural, this is the way I would think, all right, that if I really blew it in blatant disobedience, that the gift wouldn't operate. Follow what I'm saying? I don't have the gift of healing. We prayed for sick people and, and seen miracles over the years, but certainly you know, not, not the types of miracles in an ongoing way I'd want to see, and I clearly do not have gifts of healing operating in my life. But let's say I did, that in my mind, okay, so I, I didn't get to pray at all. Today is emergency. In the morning, I was on the road running, and there was this crisis and texting back and forth. I still haven't prayed yet, and it's 3 in the afternoon, and there's a need for prayer, and, and, and someone's sick, and, and they want me to pray. They, they know that God uses me to heal. All right, fine. I'll go pray. No problem. No difficulty. No issue. No question, because it's the gift of God. It's the mercy of God. It's the love of God. God cares about that person. This is for the glory of Jesus' name. It's not about how much I prayed. It's a gift. I understand that, I, and, and I love that. It's not by our works. On the flip side, on the flip side, I would, my mind would think, all right, that God forbid, you know, I went out and robbed a bank be, before a meeting, and now we got 10,000 people there, and I come out, you know, just robbed the bank and took the, the you know, the, the ski mask off, and nobody saw me do it. I'm going to get up to preach that I'd, I'd not be able to talk, and that we're going to pray for the sick. And nobody's healed at all. That I would think that God would withdraw it. You know what I'm saying? And yet that doesn't seem to be the way it works, which means that people could really be self-deceived and deceive others. And it also means that just because someone's being used supernaturally doesn't mean that what they're preaching is true. And it doesn't mean that their character is right. That's a scary thing. Because especially those of us in the charismatic Pentecostal movement, we can very easily be impressed by gifts and power. And it, it may well be that the Lord has entrusted someone with his gifts and power because of something in that person's life where they sought them earnestly or someone just brokenhearted with compassion, wanted to see the sick healed and for years fasted and prayed and cried out, Lord, help these people and God is mercy, God is grace and imparted something to them. Yes, it's still a gift, but God imparted it to them. And, and so I don't take it lightly when God's spirit is on somebody, but that doesn't mean that what they're preaching is true. It doesn't guarantee that their character is right. We must analyze what they're preaching according to Scripture. That's A. And, and B, we must look at character to see if their, their life is right with God or not. Those close to them, accountability. How is this person living? And that person should, should be living in a way, if they're in leadership in public ministry, that, that they are above reproach. Yeah, it's a high standard, but we're representing a high calling. We're representing the Lord Jesus. Now, now look, it's good news that God is not waiting for perfection before he uses us because none of us will ever reach perfection. And it's good news that God is not waiting for every one of our doctrinal beliefs to be perfect before he uses us because none of us are perfect in every area. And if you say you are, then I'll say, well, you're wrong because I know areas where you're wrong. And you'll say, well, then you're wrong because I know areas where you're wrong. In other words, God couldn't use anybody ever, all right, through history, except for his son. He couldn't use anybody ever because somebody's got an error here somewhere. 
so, someone holds to a certain thing or is misinterpreting a particular verse, are you going to tell me, pastor, teacher, leader, that you're 100% sure that every sermon you've ever preached on every text and every teaching you've ever given on every text and every exegesis of every word that you've ever given of Hebrew and Greek and everything and everything you've really felt the Lord lay on your heart to preach and teach and minister for 30 or 40 or 50 years and every doctrine that you hold, that you're 100% right on all score? Well, then if you are, everybody else is wrong and God can't use anybody else. So on the one hand, it's comforting to me to know God uses us where we are. On the other hand, that's, that's sobering because I might think that God is really with me if miracles happen through me. And you might think God is really with me if miracles happen through me. And the miracles don't prove that at all. We'll be right back. Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us, friends. 866-348-7884. If you have a specific question about anything I'm saying, this is why we do live talk radio. By all means, give me a call. 866-34-TRUTH is the number to call. If you don't have my book, Playing with Holy Fire, A Wake-Up Call to the Pentecostal Charismatic Church, I think you'll find it very helpful, as well as edifying in terms of what God is doing around the world today. In my previous book from 1991, Playing with Holy Fire came out last year, my previous book, Whatever Happened to the Power of God, 1991, is the Charismatic Church slain in the spirit or down for the count? Yes, yours truly, as a charismatic Pentecostal, I wrote that, and I believe both of these books are important books and will stir you as you read them. Uh, I, I wish I could push a button and download all the information into your hearts and minds. So I want you to just give all the books away. First, I don't have the power to. They're published by publishers and they cost money to, to put out. Secondly, uh, you just give pe- things away. Most people kind of discard it. It's just, it's just the truth. I mean, listen, whenever I see one of my books on sale on Kindle online for 99 cents. I tell everyone, get it, get it, get it, get it. I don't make a dime on that, obviously. If it's 99 cents, well, there's, you don't make anything on it, okay? I go take advantage of this, get it, get it. Why? Because the goal in writing the books is to get them into your hands. But I'm telling you, they are worth every penny to go get them and read them and study and go through the relevant material. All right, I want to look at what Paul has to say about the gifts in a moment. But first, the specific situation with charismatic evangelist Todd Bentley and everyone, you know, what's your statement, etc. I am involved with others, actually, even though this is not my domain or I have, I have no relationship with Todd in, in, in any way, ministry relationship of any kind. And I don't know that the two of us have, have ever talked for more than a couple of seconds, all right? But because people have come to me, because I know people that know Todd, I have been listening, the charges, allegations, all right? If the allegations are true, of course, he should not be in, in ministry. Of course, obviously, for the foreseeable future. I mean, certainly say that, all right? But if you were being accused, you would want charges to be evaluated as well, all right? What I have said is 
that we must have a proper way of dealing with these things, not by putting charges online. Look, there are certain things to which Todd has confessed. I, I know it because I was involved with bringing some of the, the, the charges. People brought them to me. I brought them to others who, who knew him in years past, okay? And, and I have not supported his ministry uh, ever since 2008, and, and he knows that. I'm, I'm not saying that to beat him up, but he, but he knows that, all right? And in, in, point, in point of fact, I believe he knows that, but in, in point of fact, there are things that are now being put out in public that he did this and this in the past. He did acknowledge those. He, he, did, he did ask God for forgiveness, and he did seek ministry for them. So whether he fully repented or not, that's a whole other subject. But you don't now go post that. Picture that in your own life, okay? Picture that in your own life, that you were guilty of certain things. You, you, you're ashamed of them. You ask forgiveness. Well, you didn't do one. Okay, but I'm saying you dealt with them when it was brought to you. You said it's true. I confess. I've sinned. I want help. I want ministry. All right. And then after that, someone now published it. Well, you did the same thing again. Okay, well, now say there was a pattern of this in the past. We thought it was dealt with, but it surfaced again. Don't post all the old stuff. Would you want that done about you? So people are coming to me with information. I am relaying that information to people who are dealing with Todd because, again, I have no relationship to his, to his ministry. And if the allegations or charges are true, he should not be in ministry at all for the foreseeable future. But my own view is, based on his committing adultery, leaving his wife, and marrying the woman he committed adultery with, he should not have been in ministry since then. Okay? So I'm not trying to pile on. I'm trying to, to deal constructively with a larger situation. And I want God's best for everybody. If people have been victimized or hurt, that's the first concern. Well, no, the first concern is the reputation of the Lord, okay? The honor of the Lord, because that's what's most important for people's lives. And then secondly, in terms of human concerns, now the concerns of those who may have been sinned against, who may be victims, that, that's an, and then the person that, that committed the sin. And then always, even with strong rebuke, even with strong discipline, even sitting someone down for ministry, even saying, hey, you'll never minister again. Whatever the thing is, everything is done with a heart of love to see the blood of Jesus cover, to see true repentance, to see people move forward in God. All right? But this is, there are a lot, you know, what I find so concerning is you have what I call the hypercritics who are going to be judged the way they judge others. And if, if they have it for your group, they're after your group. It's like, what about the sin in your own camp? What about the sin in your own house? What, what about the hypocrisy there? So that brings me to a very important issue about the gifts, all right? I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and then 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you have specific questions, general questions, give me a call, 866-34-TRUTH. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul says some really amazing things to the believers there. 1 Corinthians 2, and he he says this, When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come with excellence of speech or wisdom, proclaiming to you the mystery of God. In particular, compared to the great orators at Corinth in the Greek world, he said, "That, that was not my goal, all right? For I decided not to know anything among you except Yeshua the Messiah, Jesus the Messiah, and him crucified. All right, so you're, you've heard this many times. I determined to know nothing about you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now, he gets to Corinth in, in Acts 18, Acts 16. He's been severely 
beaten and flogged and thrown in the, the dungeon with Silas. Acts 17, persecution in Thessalonica and riots. So he gets to Corinth, the great city of Corinth. What does he say? The mighty apostle Paul. In weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power. This is Paul. So that your faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Wow. What a statement. Paul's saying, I, I did not want to persuade you. I did, and Kyle, let's, let's grab Galatians, the third chapter, Galatians chapter three. He's saying, I, I didn't want to persuade you. Paul, you've convinced us. What a brilliant argument. That was masterful. What rhetoric. Wow, the way you weave the themes together. We are convinced. No, he said, I didn't want your faith to stand in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Now, what does he say to the Galatians in the third chapter? He's rebuking them. Oh, foolish Galatians, who cast a spell on you? Before your eyes, Yeshua the Messiah was clearly portrayed as crucified. Let's skip down now to around verse 10. He says, for all who rely on the deeds of Torah under a curse, for the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not keep doing everything written in the scroll of the Torah. And he goes on from there. And, and, and he, in fact, let's just, just back up a little bit, all right? So he's talking about being deceived. He's, he's talking about, yeah, just, just back it up some more. So for those listening, I'm ready to back up what we're just, we have on our screen for, for our YouTube feed. So they've been deceived. They've thought they're going to be justified by the works of the law, all right? But the, by keeping the Mosaic covenant, by being circumcised and obeying the Sinai covenant rather than by grace. But, but notice, notice what he says, all right? <clears throat> he, he says, I want to find out just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit, the Ruach, by deeds based on law, Torah, or by hearing based on faith? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the spirit, will you now reach the goal in the flesh? Did you endure so much for nothing if it really was for nothing? So then the one who gives you the spirit and works miracles among you, does he do it because of your deeds based on Torah, based on law, or your hearing based on trust and faithfulness? So he's talking about the miracles that are happening in their midst. This is an ongoing proof of God being in their midst, all right? So the same with the Corinthians. Don't trust the wisdom of men, but the power of God. So this was verifying the gospel message. It doesn't verify my personal message or that all my doctrine is right, but it verifies the gospel when we preach it to the world. And the miracles are ongoing. But now what does he say in 1 Corinthians 13? 1 Corinthians 13, you all know the passage uh, what does he say at the beginning of it? Some of you can quote it, and I could quote it from, I don't know, which translations. I memorized it in the King James in my early days and would, would pray over it every single night, okay, where instead of, of love, it was, it was charity in the King James. But I'll read it. All right, we got TLV in front of us. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I own and hand over my body to be burned or so I might boast and have not love, I gain nothing. And then I pray this over myself every day. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not brag. It does not 
It's not puffed up, etc. I pray that over myself every day because I had such a fierce temper when I got saved. And I was so nasty and cruel with my tongue. I prayed this for months and months and months and months and other key passages. Pray them over myself day in, day out because I knew I needed God to transform me and change me. And I was so lacking in these areas. But the point I'm making is this. On the one hand, Paul says, when I came preaching to you, I didn't want your faith to be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So the gospel is confirmed with signs and wonders and miracles, exalting the risen Jesus and demonstrating the message about Jesus is true. At the same time, I, Paul, if, if I speak in tongues, tongues of men and angels and have all these gifts, faith and miracles, and we can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. So when we come back, we'll talk about what does God require of us from leaders? Character, charisma, both? if you have a question. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire, 866-34-TRUTH. When God gives requirements for leadership in the New Testament, say in 1 Timothy 3 or in Titus 1, those are the major passages, he doesn't say you must have the gift of healing. He doesn't say you must speak in tongues. He doesn't say you must be able to prophesy. He doesn't say any of those things. Rather, he speaks to our conduct, to our character, to our family life, to being sound in the faith, to being hospitable, able to teach. Speaks to those things, all right? So those are requirements. And without those, We cannot serve as elders, pastors, senior leaders in the body, even without some of those things can't serve as deacons, so servant helpers in the body. At the same time, the anointing of the Spirit, the empowerment of the Spirit is crucial for us to be effective in ministry. So without character, with obviously being apt to teach means we're sound in basic doctrine, we know the Word. So without character and grounding in the Word, we're disqualified from being in what we call full-time ministry or, or leadership in the body. On the one hand, on the flip side, without the anointing and empowering the Spirit, even if you're a cessationist and don't believe in tongues and, and healing for today, the empowerment of the Spirit, the anointing to, to do the work of God, without that, we're disqualified from being effective. And I could argue, based on Jacob, James 5, that if we're not people of faith and we can't pray in faith for the sick, then something is lacking because that's presupposed for an elder, that they can pray in faith for the sick. So it's really important that we get this right. I'm going to take calls in a moment, starting with Malachi in Indiana. You'll be up first, 866-348-7884. Any relevant questions, feel free to call, all right? And, and if you are one, you regularly write articles attacking me. I don't, I don't read them, but I'll, I'll get sent links, and I'm associated with Satan for this reason, that reason. And you're, you're a brother in the Lord. You may not consider me a brother, but whatever. I consider you a brother if you're born-again follower of Jesus. You should call. You know, my phone lines have been open for years and years and years, and I think of one critic that called with some regularity. 
but I can't really think of others. Phone lines are always open, and I'm not going to bite, okay? I'm not going to bite. <clears throat> but I, I want to say this to my charismatic Pentecostal friends, okay? Because I'm, I'm a charismatic. I'm a Pentecostal. I teach at seminaries that are non-Pentecostal, non-charismatic. I've preached at leading Baptist churches. I will serve wherever God opens the door for me to serve, and I will be honoring of, of the parameters where I am. And in other words, if, if I was asked to lecture at a Calvinist seminary, which, which uh, no, the one that I know that's Calvinist, I had kind of sign on the line that was Calvinist. But let's just say I was invited to lecture at a Calvinist seminary. And I have Calvinist friends that would certainly let me do that. I would understand that that's, uh, I'm in there to lecture, say, on cultural apologetics, or I'm in there to lecture on, on uh, Jewish objections to Jesus. Let's say it was charismatic cessationist. And if someone says, Dr. Brown, can we talk about the gifts of the Spirit? No, that's not why I'm here. Well, Dr. Brown, how do you feel about the school's views? These are the school's views. That's what the school teaches. I, I wouldn't disrupt. I wouldn't dishonor. I wouldn't raise issues. Zero. Nothing. Nothing. Because that's not why I'm there. So I'm, I'm happy. If, if this is not going to happen, well, God could do anything. But if, if the master seminar, John MacArthur School, invited me to come up and, and, and do a lecture on, on principles of, of Hebrew exegesis or Hebrew lexicography, you know, doing word studies in Hebrew or something, and they said, that's all you're allowed to speak about if people ask you about the gifts, about it. great, it'd be an honor. I'd consider it an honor to minister to the fine students there. All right? I'm, again, I'm not expecting that. I don't think they'd want me. But it, I, I have no problem ministering in all these different settings. And I know many of you listening and watching are, are not charismatic Pentecostal. Many of you are. But I just want to speak in particular now to my charismatic Pentecostal friends. All right? I know that many of us really step out in faith. And we've had unusual experiences and things that might even seem weird or different, but they've really been the Lord. And there's nothing unscriptural about them. And we see the Bible has a lot of things that are kind of way out there. And yet they're true. So we are not afraid to step out. We are not afraid to believe. We are not afraid to go for it. That's commendable. But often we're so gullible. I'll say it again. Often we are so gullible. Often we, oh, praise the Lord. It was, oh, the angel came. Yeah, and, and the angel told me that uh, I'm actually Donald Trump. And then, oh, so now, I, I, now, it's a little exaggerated thing, but some of us just believe anything. And look, I know some critics are saying, well, Brown, you believe anything. You, you know, you're on this show and that show and you believe anything. First, I appear in lots of shows. It doesn't mean I agree with everything. If they'll give me a platform to get my message out and I can do it without compromise, then I'll do it. All right? And, you know, one or two shows I look back at, should I have been on? Eh, maybe not. Okay? But, but otherwise, that's, that's not the proof. Oh, you believe? Listen, <clears throat> there's a lot I believe because I see scriptural basis for it and I can have sound experiential backing for it with good, godly, lasting fruit. Here. I'll give you an example. Nancy and I were talking about this last night, and I, and I talk about it in Playing with Holy Fire. There's a friend of a friend of mine. So my friend is at a Bible study and, or home group meeting, and a friend of his is there. So this is the friend of my friend. And he feels the Lord say to him, tell that young woman there, God says, I hate mommies and daddies. That's obviously not a word from the Lord. God loves mommies and daddies, and God tells us to honor our parents. So it can't be a word from the Lord, but he has this strong impression. 
And he knows the Lord. He has a walk with the Lord. Tell her, God says, I hate mommies and daddies. So he tells her and she begins to weep and receives a significant healing in her life that night from the Lord, an emotional healing. He said, I don't understand it. When she was a little girl, her father used to come into her bedroom at night and sexually abuse her. And he used to say, we're going to play mommies and daddies. That's what he called it. And God, in his incredible mercy, reaches down. And in a way that was supernatural, it wasn't just a word, but it was a word empowered by the Spirit, speaks that to her. And she gets wonderfully healed and set free on the inside after traumatic abuse as a child. Friends, that's odd. That sounds weird, but it really happened. My friend is a very reliable sober Anything, he writes stuff as warnings to charismatics. He's anything but Mr. Gullible. He was there. He witnessed it. It, it was from the Lord. Here, I'll give you another example. I heard this out of the horse's mouth. This brother was ministering one time and then afterwards said, if you need prayer, come up, I'll pray for you. And a woman comes up for prayer and he's about to pray for her and he hears the word in his mind, dead bird. Tell her dead bird. The Lord says dead bird. He says, Lord, if I tell her that I'm a dead bird, what dead bird, I'm a dead bird. What a stupid thing. But he feels impressed. So he says to her, the Lord wants me to tell you, dead bird. And she too begins weeping and receives a significant healing in her emotional life that night. She was orphaned as a girl and her sole prized possession was her pet bird that she kept in a cage, of course. When she moves into the orphanage, that is her one thing precious to her. And she sets everything up in a room and at night, one of the ladies at the orphanage comes by and says, oh, you're not allowed to have a pet in your room can't have a pet in your room. So, well, you can't have it at, at night in your room, but during the day, it's fine. She said, but it's, it's my bird, and it's cold outside. She said, no, we're just going to put the cage outside, and then in the morning, well, you know, you can have it during the day. Whatever, that was their rule. So, in the morning, bring the cage in, the bird's dead. So, it, it deeply traumatized her. And that night, God in his mercy said, I saw that. I, saw, I was there. And it brought a revelation of the love of God to her, and she was wonderfully set free. We've seen those kind of things. We've had those kinds of things happen. So on the one hand, we do believe and we know that God and his love works in these very unusual ways. At the same time, there's no excuse for our gullibility. There's no excuse for it. Just believe whatever somebody said. Oh, yeah. Write out this thousand dollar check. For, oh, yeah. And the Lord told me you'll get a 10,000 time return. Oh, yeah. I mean, do you ever think if you guaranteed a hundredfold return on everything you give? Did you ever think how that works? Do the math. I give a hundred dollars today. Right. I'll give a dollar to support a ministry today. Right. Let's say it takes a year. And a year later, I've gotten a hundred dollars back on that dollar. I'm smart. I now give that $100 back to that ministry, right? Let's say it takes another year. That's not what? $10,000. Is that right? $10,000. I'm really smart. So I take that $10,000 and I reinvest it in that same ministry. Let's say it takes a whole year. One year later, what's, what's 100 times 
Uh, 10,000, is that a million? Oh, hang on. I'm really smart. One year later, I take that million and I reinvest it. Now, a year later, I got 100 million. If, if that's the way it always worked. I pronounce a tenfold anointing on you. Tenfold. If, if you had a tenfold anointing, you know, 10 times the gift and power that someone else had, then you laid hands on someone else, they got a tenfold anointing. The whole world would get saved overnight with that kind of math because the anointing would be so strong. And yet we just, oh, yeah, praise the Lord. We're so gullible. And no wonder the critics mock us. No wonder the critics have a field day with it. And then when secret stuff gets revealed about sin and all that stuff that should have been dealt with privately gets dealt with publicly. When I say should have, sometimes the leaders fail to do it, deal with it, okay? And, and now it goes public, then all the more we are laughing stock. But don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. During the strange fire conference, Phil Johnson said there are no healthy babies in the bathwater. You know, the charismatic movement is bankrupt based. Yeah, some sound charismatics, but the water's bad, the babies are bad. Well, there are tens of millions of healthy babies. I'm talking about charismatic Pentecostal, children of God, probably several hundred million healthy, thriving, going after the Lord, serving God, that are not flakes, that are not weirdos, that are, but there's a lot of junk. There's hundreds of millions that are got to be flaky and a whole lot of junk, and a whole lot of deception. We are in the process right now of getting some of my key books into Nigeria in English, but in a very, very inexpensive edition to get them out to the greatest number of people. In fact, if you make a donation and designate it, we'll we'll put it right towards that. We're helping underwrite some of the costs in doing it. Go to askdrbrown.org, click Donate to deal with some of the excesses, the carnal prosperity message and hyper grace and other things with doctrinal and world compromise and getting some of these books out to help. So I'm all for doing that. There's a lot of flakiness, a lot of gullibility. But please hear me. Don't throw the whole thing out because you've been burned or there's been a false prophecy. Study the word, become convinced of what scripture says, and then believe for that. All right, I will go to the phones when we come back. Stay right here. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us today on The Line of Fire, 866-348-7884. Four is the number to call. We're talking about character, charisma. And we started the broadcast at, at the top of the hour, for those that heard from the very beginning. We started the broadcast talking about how Samson was still used in the gift God had given him, even though he would be in blatant sin, sleep with a prostitute from the, from the enemy, Philistine prostitute, and then get up and do something miraculous. How can you do that? Because the gift was still there. And regarding Israel, Romans eleven twenty nine. Paul writes, the gifts and calling of God are, are irrevocable, all right? Romans eleven twenty nine. I believe it applies the same way with, with spiritual gifts given. Someone's given a particular gift, even if they're in sin, the gift can still operate through them. At a certain point, though, their sin will destroy their lives, destroy their ministries, and then everything will stop. Or their sin will take them away from even being able to give a semblance of, of ministry. But there have been people... A colleague of mine, uh, not a colleague, a leader I met and spent some time with years ago, not a colleague, but someone I met and spent some time with many, many years ago, told me he was an eyewitness, that he knew somebody, he knew a healing evangelist that left his wife and was living with another woman. He was living in adultery 
And he would leave that woman's home where he was sleeping with another woman and go to tent meetings. And, and this brother said to me, with my own eyes, I saw outstanding miracles take place. He described one of them. I mean, one of the most extraordinary healings I ever heard of. He said, I witnessed it with my own eyes. He said, and he was living in adultery. He said he went home to tell his wife and kids he was leaving them. But when he saw them, he became overcame, overcome with grief. He repented, broke off the relationship. And my friend said his ministry was never the same after. I mean, he, he repented, he got right with God. He continued to minister, but everything was smaller and less significant. You know, there was a, a penalty, a result of a sin. But in the midst of it, the gift still operated. That's scary. So just because someone has a gift doesn't mean they're right with God. Just because someone can minister powerfully, just someone can prophesy and read your mail, doesn't mean their doctrine is right. Doesn't mean their character is right. Everything must be evaluated in its proper place. All right, 866-34-TRUTH. We go to Malachi in Indiana. Thank you for holding. Welcome to the line of fire. Hey, Dr. Brown. Hey. Hey, I was, uh, I was thinking about the biblical figure Balaam. Yeah, um, that's a that's a figure that has really impacted me um, because it's really amazing how he had this encounter with the the living God and was even used of God, but he was never truly with God, and and so I I think that, that falls very much in line with what you've been talking about, which is an excellent topic, and it's caused me to always be even more careful that somebody may be telling me something that might seem a little bit odd, but it doesn't mean that they did not truly have a supernatural encounter. But like you said, you still got to gauge, you know, more things than just what they say and just be observant. So could you comment on that a little bit? Yeah. The figure uh, thank, of Balaam? Yeah, thank you for raising it. Balaam, in certain ways, is even more extreme because he's, he's a pagan, and yet somehow he has this gift where he can get in tune with the deity. He obviously was known as a pagan soothsayer, a pagan prophet, right? So you hire the guy and he's going to prophesy in the name of whatever God you worship. So he had some type of gift, you know, just like some people have natural discernment. They, they just see through things. And, and, and people just know certain things. And someone in the natural has perfect pitch, you know, and they can hear perfect, you know, music and everything perfectly. Uh, seeing that Balaam had this spiritual type of gift. And when it was time for God to speak, he was going to go through his normal method of getting in touch with whatever the God was and realize, no, no, it's different with this God. And obviously God chose to speak to him. That's the bottom line. God chose to speak to him. So even if he did everything else by demonic power, because there are people who can tell you what's going on in your life and know your past, and it's by demonic power, and some people just do it because they can figure things out. You know, they read you, and then they play along based on your reaction, and it's all a fraud. But whatever happened with Balaam, God chose to use a vessel that was a sinful vessel because when – what do we have – Numbers 22 to 24, so Balaam called in the 22nd chapter, and then the prophecies, the words, the positive words over Israel in 23, 24. And then he leaves, right? And then 25, what's the next thing that happens? That the Israelites fall into sin with the Midianites. Remember, it's Balak, king of Midian, who called Balaam in. 
All right, so it's Balak and Bil'am in, in Hebrew. The names aren't so close together. So the king of the Midianites calls Balaam in. Balaam tries to curse Israel. He can. He can only bless. The text tells us there that, that Balak's really unhappy with him. Just get out of here. But now the next chapter, the Midianite women are seducing the Israelite men. And, and they're worshiping the gods of Midian. And God brings a plague on Israel. And we learn later in the text and Israel kills Balaam later, that he counseled Balak. In other words, because he couldn't curse Israel. Yahweh wouldn't let him. He says, all right, here's the key then. Here's how Yahweh will curse them. What you do is get them to commit sexual immorality and idolatry, and God will judge them. So he's not allowing me to curse them, but I'm telling you, here's how you can get them cursed and judged. So the guy had an evil heart. And in the New Testament, he's associated with greed. That's the way of Balaam is the way of greed. And yet God still spoke through him for his purposes. So Balaam's an even more extreme example. But within the body where you have people who have legitimate gifts from God, look, I've known of people with prophetic gifts and they can tell you what's going on in your life and your social security number and other things, but they're off. They're not right with God. Something's funny. And now they may use that to try to manipulate and get money from you. You think, how can that be? Well, it seems they're abusing a gift from God. So those things can happen. It's, it's a, great, uh, a great point you're making. I appreciate it, Malachi. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Here, look, uh, let, let's go to one last passage. Uh, and I have Matthew 7 ready, starting in verse 21. We'll go there in a moment. But I, I just want to illustrate something for you. Let's say I get up and I preach a message in a church and I say, God is going to confirm my doctrine. There is no pre-trib rapture and, and the rapture is part of the second coming at the end of, of the tribulation. And as a sign to confirm this, at the end of the service, I'm going to lay hands on the sick and miracles are going to happen. And I do that. I teach the word. I show why there's no pre-trib rapture, etc. I lay hands on the sick. People are healed. Say, aha, that proves it. Down the block, there's another pastor saying, I'm going to prove from Scripture that there is a pre-trib rapture, and it's separated from the second coming by seven years. And then afterwards, I'm going to lay hands. I'm going to lay hands on the sick, and miracles are going to happen. That's going to prove my doctrine's right. And he does it, and the sick are healed. You think, huh? What's that proof? Proves God heals. That's all. Proves God heals. You've got, you got to look at the Word to learn doctrine. You don't learn doctrine by miracles. It, I'm going to show my dog as a proof that what I'm teaching on the line of fire is true. There's going to be a storm. It's an unannounced storm and a, and a comet. That doesn't prove anything. You got to, what does the word say? That's how you determine doctrine. All right, so let's look at Matthew 7, beginning in verse 21. And there are two principal ways to do this. Matthew 7, beginning in verse 21, Jesus says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only those who do the will of my Father. Then he says this, many will say to me on that day, and sorry, we don't have the text up for those watching. Many will say to me on that day, but, but in your name, we worked many miracles. We prophesied and drove out demons in your name. And he'll say, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity or workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. Ah, so what's the point? There are two different ways to read this. Either they were self-deceived 
or they were operating under demonic power because they weren't working with God. They were using and abusing the name of Jesus and the miracles were counterfeit miracles. And Jesus says, I never knew you. That's one way of reading it. So beware of counterfeit miracles where people are leading you away from the true gospel and from the Bible. All right. Or, or they were true believers at one point. They were anointed. They did see miracles happen in Jesus name. Because Mark 9 says, no one can work, Jesus says, no one can work a miracle in my name and the next moment speak evil of me. That's another passage to look at. They did know the Lord. And when Jesus, but now they were living in sin and iniquity, they had turned away. And he says, I never knew you. All right. Which in Hebrew would be lo which was a formula of excommunication in the ancient Jewish world. In other words, when you excommunicated someone who had been part of your community for years, but now they had gone into heresy something like that, and you excommunicated them, that's the formula you used. I never knew you. Even though they had been part of your community for years, that was the formula, and Jesus would just be using the Jewish formula of excommunication, which they would understand. Either way, remember, miracles, signs, wonders do not prove specific doctrine. What they do prove is when you preach the name of Jesus to the lost, when you bring the message of the gospel to the lost, God will often confirm that message of the risen Jesus, that he is alive, that he is Lord, that he is over all power, that he is greater than any other God through signs, wonders, and miracles. But signs, wonders, and miracles do not confirm the character of the person preaching, teaching. That must be looked at and evaluated and watched. And signs, wonders, and miracles do not confirm my particular doctrine or preaching to confirm the truth of the word that Jesus is Lord. All right, friends, back with you. Very important interview tomorrow on The Line of Fire.